Well, we've been in the book of John um, the last couple of weeks as we're taking a little break from Acts. And so if you want to open up your Bibles to John 1, we're going to look at verses 12 and 13 tonight. We're actually going to go a little bit deeper, but uh, 12 and 13 are pretty action-packed, and so we're going to stay right there. I'm going to ask you a few questions tonight, and then we're going to tell a few stories. And I really believe uh, that God's going to help you decide how to answer those questions, and that he'll also show you how you might fit into the stories. So far, so good? All right. But first, thing, first things first, four things not to do when cleaning up after Christmas. Don't, number one, don't wait until uh, April to take down your Christmas tree. Um, if you decide not to take my advice and wait till April, any, April anyway, don't try to avoid all the cleanup by lighting a fire in the fireplace and trying to feed the, the tree into there a little bit of a time. And if you want to know the real truth of these stories, you can talk to me later. True stories. Husbands, after opening presents, be a good husband, save all the wrapping paper. It stacks real nice and neat, and it works great for starting a fire in the wood stove or for that barbecue out in the fire pit in the summer. And the flames turn real pretty colors. Number four, last one, if you're up on the roof taking Christmas lights down and you've taken all the safety precautions and you've tied a rope around your waist to protect yourself, don't tie the other end of the rope to your wife's minivan because you haven't communicated to her that you're up on the roof and she's going to the store. Okay? All right. Well, I, we can talk later. Um, I, I, and that didn't happen to us. <laughs> we communicate really good. But it did happen. You can talk to me later. I really do love the Christmas seasons, all the traditions and the family and friends and the music and the food and the food and the stories. And I know some of you, uh, this season is a really special time of year, but for the others, it can be really, really difficult. But I want to ask you a question tonight, as I'm going to ask you several. If you could change anything at all about this Christmas season, what would it be? If Jesus came up to you and put his arm around you, and he looked intently into your eyes, and he asked you, what do you really want for Christmas? How would you answer? So let me propose what might be on that list, and some of these are on my list, and we look at them up here. To more fully understand what it means to be in his presence, to learn how to listen, to hear from God, that my circumstances wouldn't determine my joy that there could be forgiveness and reconciliation in those broken relationships, to not be afraid anymore, for joy to replace all the anger inside of me and for physical healing in my body or in the body of someone else I'm close to, that anxiety were gone forever and replaced by peace, that I'd be quicker to give grace and stand for what is true at the same time, and that my identity wouldn't be dependent on my accomplishments or what other people thought about me. And with his arms still around you, I believe Jesus would smile and say, go look under that tree Every one of those gifts is under that tree, and they all have your name on it, 
and all you have to do is open them. What do you believe about this season? What do you believe about a baby in a manger? And what do you really want to believe about this season? Well, John talks a lot about believing, and as you read through the book of John, he gives us a reason to believe. There's so many good things going, all, going on all around us, and yet at the same time, there's a lot of brokenness, as we all know, and the world's looking for a diagnosis of its condition and for something that'll give us hope. There's so many voices offering so many solutions and so many different contradictory opinions, and some of those opinions are good, but some of them are really dangerous and destructive. But there's nothing that will ever replace the hope that John gives us in the person of Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. Our longing for meaning and purpose is really a longing for the love and the grace and truth we find in Jesus. If you've never read the book of John, please read it. And if you've read it before, please read it again. There is so much waiting for you. And every time you read the scriptures, it's, it's alive and active, and it'll grab your heart in a new and fresh way. And in all four Gospels, this is interesting, um, the word believe, or a usage of it, shows up 130 times. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it shows up 130 times. In Matthew, it shows up nine times, Mark 18 times, Luke nine times, but in John, it shows up 94 times-ish, depending on the commentators read, theologians. But it shows up a bunch. And he wants to give us a reason to believe. He wants us to know that the revealed character of Jesus is worth believing in. So let's, let's read the text. It's short. John 1 13 and 14. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. What does it mean to believe in his name? Why do I believe in Alex and Andoni? It's not because their parents named him Alex and Andoni but because I've seen their godly character revealed over and over again. And in Hebrew culture, names matter. It wasn't so much about the names they were called, but about their nature and their character. And the person doing the naming was exercising authority of that person in a good way, and this time, God's doing naming. In Philippians, it says this, God gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John is saying that Jesus was God in the flesh and that the character of God was perfectly revealed in Jesus. We reviewed that the last couple weeks. And when we believe in his name and who he is and what he has done, we can become children of God. For those that believed in his name, he gave right to become the children of God. When you believe in who he is and what he has done, if you want, you can claim what's already yours. 
Someone in this room blessed Kathy and I with a gift certificate to dinner. And with that certificate, we could, or that, it's a card now, it used to be certificates, uh, but it's a card. And with that card, we had the right to a free dinner, no cost to us, but we had to actually decide to go use it. We had to claim it. And once you've believed that you have the right to become a children of God, you, you still have to claim it. I can't claim to be a son or daughter of God if I don't know the father who named me. Uh, Dallas Willard in his book, some of you have read it, Divine Conspiracy, tells a story about electricity coming to the farming community he grew up in southern Missouri. And he says that they had more electricity than they knew what to do with, but it only came in the form of lightning. Uh, So the local power administration decided to run lines through this rural community, and this could completely change the way they'd lived their life for the better. It could change aspects of hot and cold, daylight and dark, clean and dirty, work and leisure, but they had to believe in the electricity and take actions to rely on it. The power that could make their lives far better was theirs to choose. And Willard says, strangely, there were some who didn't accept it. Some didn't want to change, and others thought they couldn't afford it. We are not going to be a church (laughs) that settles for just okay or comfortable. We want all the fullness of the power that God gives us access to. But all the fullness means all the surrender. We're going to come back to that thought in a minute, but I want to take a little detour to the end of the book of John and the story about uh, Jesus and Thomas. And some of you might remember that story. Uh, Jesus was just crucified, and they took spikes and drove them through his hands, and they took the sword and swiped open his um, abdomen. And a couple days later, he's resurrected. And if you remember, Jesus appeared to his disciples that night. And Thomas wasn't there. (laughs) And it doesn't say why Thomas wasn't there. Maybe he slept in that night. Or maybe he just stayed home for the day. I'm guessing he might have been feeling confused or lost. After all, Jesus had just been crucified that week. It's been a long week. And later they told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas said, there's no way. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hand and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound into his side. And then Thomas gets a second chance. The scriptures say that eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus was standing among them, and he said, peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas and said, put your finger here, or here, (laughs) put them both places, put your finger here in my hands and put your hand in the wound in my side. And then he said to Thomas, don't doubt any longer, believe. And every time we gather in this room, I know that God is saying that to someone. Notice that Jesus didn't condemn Thomas. We sometimes give Thomas a bad rap, calling him Doubting Thomas in a negative connotation often. 
But I've often wondered, what if it wasn't Thomas that missed out on that first meeting with the disciples? What if it was Peter? Peter, for sure, but James and Andrew. Uh, Or what if it was you? Or what if it was me? Would we have said the same thing? It wasn't like he had absolutely no faith at all. He'd been with Jesus. It's just how he processed life. And isn't that how we process life sometimes? It's way easier to believe in something when we've seen it by, you know, in person. And then Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe in me, I'm sorry, blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. Who is that? That's us. (laughs) So what's the point of the story um, as it relates to verse 12? We're we're proof people. Some of of us are like Thomas. We want proof before we're all in. And everybody has a line where more information isn't going to help you anymore. Don't get me wrong. You don't have to toss your brain out when you become a Christian. Keep learning. Keep asking questions. Keep reading the scriptures. But at some point, a question still remains. What am I going to do with all this knowledge and information? Do I really believe it? At some point, we need to allow what's in our brains to make it to our hearts. Don't overthink your way out of the kingdom of God. (laughs) I worked for the fire department for 27 years. And at one point, uh, part of our training was to learn how to do high-angle rescue and, and repelling. And we started in the classroom by having all our hands on all the equipment and learning all the safety precautions and had weeks and weeks of training. And then finally we took our newly learned skills up to a 16-story uh, tower um, out in Troutdale. It was the old Reynolds aluminum plant that's not there anymore. It's actually Amazon and, and uh, we don't put that up there yet. But uh, it's actually Amazon and, and FedEx now. It's where you're getting all your stuff. Um, but here's a picture of 16 stories, okay? And that's not me, but that gives you a little bit of idea. I just took that off the internet. But, um, but that gives you an idea what it's like from 16 stories. It's 192 feet up, to be exact. And some of you are saying, bring it on. <laughs> I know Andrew is. Said, bring it on, let's go higher. Uh, but some of you are probably uh, thinking, oh, I'll get close to the edge, and you have that feeling in the back of your legs when your knees start to buckle when you get too close. I didn't ask for permission for this, but I might get into trouble. <laughs> Kathy and I go for walks in Lake Oswego uh, on the river in Foothills Park, and there's one place where this platform goes out over the water, and it's maybe 25 feet up over the water. We were on that walk the other day. Kathy gets about... Um, five feet from the edge, and she goes, that makes my butt hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Send your emails to andoni at (laughs) saintshill.church. But that's that feeling when you get... The point is, when you get to the top, uh, there's some really critical things that need to happen. You need an anchor point. And 
when you get up there, the safety officer tells you what the anchor point is, and he makes you put your hands on the anchor point, and then he explains why it's a secure anchor point so that you can trust it. What does your anchor point look like? Do you believe that it's strong enough to hold you? Well, not all of us were assigned to that high-angle rescue uh, team, uh, so we had the choice to go over or not. Those who were on the team had to, but we had a choice. And so you put on your buckle and your, your harness, and you check all the buckles and the carabiners and the ropes and the straps, and then the firefighter next to you checks it again. He goes all through them again, and then the safety officer checks them again all one more time, and so everything's secure and safe. And at that point... You've had all the information you needed. You've had all the training you needed. And you've trusted the persons that taught you. But, but you need to make a choice. You need to climb over the railing, lean back, and let go. Full surrender. Alex reminded us a couple weeks ago that saying yes to God will always lead you into a new adventure. What's keeping you from climbing over the rail? Who and what have you put your trust? I can study the Bible rationally with my mind and learn all kinds of things about God and theology. But if I'm only relating to God intellectually with my mind and not my heart, I miss out on the freedom and the adventure and the joy and the opportunity to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. James says this, says, do you think that it's enough to believe that there's one God? Well, even the demons believe this and tremble and tear. Terror, that hurts. I was having coffee with my good friend Doug Rathke the other day, as we do so often together, and he put it like this. He said, trusting always requires some kind of action on my part. Are you ready to trust him for everything? Are you ready to take action? Belief without obedience is only information. Real belief is when the information in your brain makes it to your heart and you act on it. Do you have information about Jesus tonight that hasn't made it to your heart? And what's stopping you from claiming your gift? Some of you have been learning to surrender to Jesus every day and you know that there's always more and that God doesn't run out of good gifts. And for some of you, you're just comfortable where you're at, like the farming community in Missouri. And for some of us, it's just pride that keeps us from surrender. In the fire service, uh, there's something we call a mayday, and you probably heard it or watched in a movie. You see a plane going down, they're crying, mayday, mayday. Uh, that, that's a bad thing. And, and it's called in life-threatening or potentially life-threatening circumstances. Several years before I retired, we were called out on a three-alarm apartment fire, and we were on the second alarm. Not uncommon, but every fire has its unknowns and your adrenaline starts to pump. And we could see black smoke from blocks away, and when we arrived, we saw really heavy fire coming from the second 
couple store, or from the second floor from a couple different complexes. And when we arrived, uh, the command, commander, uh, our assignment was from command to pull up a backup hose line and go protect Engine 31's crew. And Engine 31 was right in the middle of that fire on the second floor. And as we made entry to the building, <clears throat> we began to take an immediate beating. And temperatures, believe it or not, can reach from 800 to 1,200 degrees, and you can't see your hand in front of your mask. And Hollywood just doesn't do it justice. Well, we were trying our best to knock down the fire to protect Engine 31's egress or their escape route. And then without warning, the ceiling above us collapsed. And the main part of the collapse fell on Engine 31's crew. And the fire intensified. And the conditions grew worse. And we were semi-buried in burning debris. And for the first time in my career, it went through my mind in that moment, this might be the night that I don't make it home. <laughs> then immediately over our headsets, we heard this. This is command with emergency radio traffic calling a mayday. All companies evacuate the building, and it gets repeated. This is command which emer with emergency traffic calling a mayday. All companies evacuate the building. And we waited for a few moments. Hope and Engine 31's crew had emerged from the fire and all the debris, but nothing. We heard the Mayday message, but everything in us wanted to stay there and protect and rescue Engine 31's crew. Trusting the Mayday required action on our part, and there was an extreme tension between our pride and our surrender to the Mayday. Setting aside our pride to control the situation and having trust in the man who called the Mayday led to our obedience. And our choice to get out kept us from being three fatalities that night. And I can remember crawling out of the building. We follow your hose line out and we stumbled down the staircase and then the par came and a PAR is a personal accountability report where company by company reports back to command, letting command know that their crew is all accounted for or not. And it seemed, <laughs> it seemed like forever to get to 31's crew. And we feared the worst. And then finally we heard, command engine 31 with a PAR. And then we heard the reply, this is engine 31 from, to command. Engine 31's crew, all accounted for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what we said. <laughs> but the commanding officer that called that mayday knew something that we did not. <laughs> Engine 31's crew had jumped safely out of the second story window or balcony to into the bushes below to their safety. The mayday was to save us. And through the next few days and weeks following that, um, this didn't often happen, but uh, God taught me a, 
a really powerful message, and I wrote it down. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. You are covered in love by my authority. You won't always have or need all the information. I am trustworthy. Your pride will get you into trouble, and my mayday is like my grace to you. I want your surrender. I came to rescue you, and I will give you life. Are you ignoring a mayday in your life? Who's in command? Do you ever live in that tension between your pride and your surrender? Or that tension between, I think I believe, but I'm not just ready to give up where I'm at or what I'm doing. Or that tension, yes, I believe, but I just haven't fully claimed my right to be a child of God. Wherever you're at with Jesus, there's just so much more. Bill Johnson says this. This is awesome. The real issue at hand is obedience. Understanding's not needed for obedience. Faith is. If I obey only when I understand, I've reduced God to my size. Someone who always has to explain himself before I respond. Let's move on. Verse 13. Let's start with 12 again. Uh, Yet to all who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. Verse 13. And they are reborn. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This This rebirth comes from God. When we believe in his name and claim our right to be sons and daughters of God, he gives us a brand new identity. And the message says it like this. um, He made them be their true selves, their children of God's selves. N.T. Wright says this, I love this. God is starting a new new family in which this ordinary birth isn't enough. We are part of that new family. And now we have the Holy Spirit living within us to show us how, right? No matter how bitter and painful your relationship with your earthly father's been, or how wonderful it's been, the invitation, if you choose it, and you've been given that right, is to be a part of the family of God. Ephesians, a couple verses. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him much pleasure. And when you believed Christ, he identified you by his own... Let's start that over. When you, uh, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. And the Spirit's God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Alex said this recently. Uh, I love this. But God is interested in giving you an identity that gives you access to the things that really make you live. You don't have to perform to be in God's family. And your identity doesn't have to be defined by your accomplishments. 
And that sounds so easy to say, but the truth is so many of us uh, have a difficulty with that and we struggle with that to some degree. We feel the pressure to define ourselves by what? Our jobs, our financial status, our appearance, our athletic ability, our achievements, our stuff, or what other people say about us. But if one, of, one or more of those things stripped away, our identity is shaken, and we hustle to define ourselves with something else. God wants you to know that when you wake up in the morning and you think about who you are, that the first thing that comes to your mind is, I am deeply loved by God. Then we can work from an identity rather than for one. I love the song that we sing, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. I am loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. And here's just a short list of what the scriptures say about who we are. And I want us to read these out loud together. Ready? I am a saint. Real loud. I have been adopted as God's child. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Christ. I have access to God through the Holy Spirit. I am the salt and light of the earth. I am chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am God's temple. I am God's workmanship. We are established, anointed, sealed by God. I am a citizen of heaven. I am Christ's friend. I am a child of God. That is who I am. That is who we are. There's no one that can make good on all those promises except a good and gracious Heavenly Father. And his name's Jesus. He's our hope. He's perfect in all of his ways. And he's worth believing in. So let me ask you the question we started with. So if you could change anything at all about this season, what would it be? Maybe it'd be to trust in Jesus for the very first time. Or maybe it's time to surrender again, believing him for something more, something impossible. Maybe it's time to respond to that mayday message God's given you. Or maybe you could change your identity <laughs> to deeply loved by God, a son, a daughter of God. And whatever the change might be, I believe that Jesus, with his arms still around you, smiles real big and with approval says, I see, your, I see you started to open my gifts. <laughs> And there's more of them. In fact, there's one in back of the tree you haven't started. Just come and open them. Go ahead. We're going to finish like this. I want you to stand with me. And I'm going to read the first part of this, and you're going to respond with, and that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And really loud, once again, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God.
Amen.